This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz. You are my People of the Book. And before I introduce my guest today, I'm going to take a brief fangirl moment and tell you that my guest today is Sally Andrew. Sally, welcome to the show. Thanks, Janice. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time. And if you have been living under a rock and possibly don't know who Sally Andrew is, she is the author of the best-selling Tani Maria series, and the most recent release of that being The Miltart Murders, and the first one being Recipes for Love and Murder. We're going to talk about the whole series. Obviously, we're going to talk predominantly about the latest release, the fourth in the series. When you, you first started writing your Tani Maria books. Did you think this was going to be a series? Had you planned a series of books? Well, I did write the second book quite soon after the first and did sell them in a sense as a series. So I, I, in fact, what I had in mind was I was going to write four books and then a cookbook. And that was the least I was going to do. And each of them was going to be in a different season. So the first one's in summer and then autumn, winter, and this latest one's in spring. And they're based in the Karoo, the Clan Karoo in, in Ladysmith. You yourself live in the Clan Karoo in, on a nature reserve, yes. am I right? Yes, so I live, like Tani Maria, I live just outside of Ladysmith, but she's on the um, Oatswan side and I'm on the Barrydale side. And I'm further out of town. I'm actually on a nature reserve. So we do share the similar birds and trees and Guariburma. So that is the part of our worlds that are both the same and are real and true. The rest are made up. And you describe those all absolutely beautifully in the books, in great depth, in great detail. Your books are very visual and, and it actually plays is the reader right there and we're going to talk about that tv series later on but they actually depict it all quite beautifully and which brings it all to life really it's quite stunning but tani maria if you don't know she is a food loving agony aunt and also a crime solving agony aunt what is her appeal i mean you know who is she how did she come to life (laughs) That's three questions. I'll try to answer them with one. What is her appeal? She's grounded and a a echte tani. Her foot is up the aarde. Her feet are on the earth. She's also got this sort of slightly left field sense of quirky sense of humor and original way of enjoying and seeing life. She's really quite a no fuss, no bling agony on. She's, She's full of of wisdom, common sense kind of wisdom, but she's also obsessed with food. So when you write a letter to her, you'll get some advice around what to do in in matters of the heart, usually, but you're also going to get a recipe that she thinks is going to be the true solution to your problem. She really just has food at the center of her life. And she's so convincing about it that she doesn't seem crazy, actually. It just seems logical. I mean, as she says, I think in one of the early books, if we don't eat, we die. Like, obviously, food's the most important thing. And it's her way of communicating, of sharing, of showing love, and of getting clues from possible suspects and other people who might know about the crime that she investigates. Her her crime investigating, it's often triggered by her colleague, Jessie, who's a hardcore young investigative journalist. And so she often gets, you know, she might have been the one who stumbles across a murder. Or it's often linked with the letter that she gets. So, for example, in the first book and in this last book, there's a letter that's written to her. 
by someone who then is murdered. So it's sometimes through the agony on letters. So, but that's her hobby, so to speak, is being an amateur solver of murders. There are recipes in your book. I mean, you say she replies with a recipe and you supply these recipes. You, you've got this little recipe section at the back of each book. And that must have been fun to research because you obviously have uh, created the re- recipes and you've practiced these recipes and these recipes are tried and tested, I'm imagining. And that must have been a lot of fun. Yes, totally. I take the recipe section very seriously, probably because I'm not a chef. So I've got to research them totally like I'm learning how to you know, build a model airplane. I give all the details and test everything. This last book was particularly fun. We went to Franschhoek um, and had a group of us. I must. I, I had a bang on the head a few months ago and it's knocked a lot of names out of my head. So it includes knocking out where we did the... I'm trying to remember. Oh, it was in La Fontaine, the big boutique hotel in Franschhoek. And there were nearly 30 of us there, including Marie-Louise Guy and Beverly Dodd, who are professional tasters and a whole group of people, friends, publishers. And I actually... And, and Sophia Maria Egela, she... She cooked all the recipes for us. She was a tester for me. And we sat and we tasted them all and we discussed them and we had to fill in forms and mark them and make suggestions. And so this was that was the most rigorous testing where it was really very formally done. But it was fun to make an occasion of it. We actually made a whole weekend of it because it was too much to eat. Everything. <laughs> fabulous fun. Five different milk tarts we had to taste. And so that was a, a really nice way of doing it. But it's also during the year I'll test and try. And I'll, I employ professionals to help me because I'm not a chef and I I could easily put in two tablespoons of salt instead of two pinches by mistake. So I really make sure that it's well tested by people who know what they're doing in cooking and and tasters. Um, So someone like Marie-Louise can just say, oh yes, this needs just a pinch of cardamom or something so so it's been amazing to work with people who really are in Tanya Maria's league and better because I'm not I'm not a chef like Maria and but Maria really has there are a lot of people who live in that world of food and who know it it's I've come to develop so much respect for it as an art and not see foodies just as foodies and right and it's a vocation it's not just a career you are not listening to a food show you are listening to people of the book I'm Janice Leibovitz and I'm <laughs> chatting to Sally Andrew today I love it when you This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. This is People of the Book, and today I am talking to Sally Andrew about her Tani Maria series. Specifically today, we are talking about her new book, The Milk Tart Murders. Now, your books, you know, I mean, Tani Maria, apart from being, you know, an amazing chef, she cooks, she creates these amazing recipes and she supplies them to the people in her column who write letters and she investigates crimes with with jesse but you have a very definite avoidance to violence in your book in fact i think they they classified in the the cozy genre which is sometimes some people find that genre the the title cozy mystery and the cozy title people find that quite offensive quite looked down on by, by some critics and and some writers they don't want their books classified as that how do you feel about that I'm very happy about that I mean to be honest I hadn't heard the term until it was applied to my book and then I started reading more books in the genre and I know what people mean it, it, they tend to be much lighter books more fun they've got romance they've got they also often have food which was new to me um 
And they're usually more lightweight books, both in terms of their literary value, their um, sort of, and their, yeah, and and their content, that it's usually just more fluff. I suppose like people might be offended if they're called chiclet. Cozy Mysteries, probably a bit the chiclet of, of murder mysteries. But I'm happy with the title and that I'm happy to be distinguished from books that focus on the gory side of murder and, and almost get off on it. There's an aspect that I find a bit of kind of violence pornography that you find in a lot of murder mysteries. And I would classify someone like Agatha Christie as cozy murder mystery. In yes. That the focus is not on the gore. It's on the whodunit. Um, but I think more than that, I feel my books are about healing. So I feel that although there's murder or or difficult issues that I will address, both in terms of the murder and in terms of Tani Maria's personal journey, she goes on quite hardcore psychological and spiritual journeys in all the books and this one maybe more so than the others definitely so so the healing is more than just an avoidance of gore but actually wanting to face the hard stuff in a way that heals us heals us as people and i feel that as storytellers there's an there's a almost an archetypal duty that we have to support people on their soul's journey so things like joseph campbell's He's written a few books around the hero's journey or on myths. I think stories are also guidelines for us. And so books that just celebrate violence, uh, for me, are and don't take us anywhere with it. For me, they're not doing part of what the duty, I don't know, it's a wrong term to say duty. It's maybe more a calling. And I feel that storytellers have got an important role to play in the human psyche. So it's a little bit, as I say, when I say I'm happy with Cozy, it's not just that I'm happy to be called cozy it's that I'm happy to distinguish myself as a book that supports healing rather than celebrates violence and I think some crime books can can fall in that category and I think particularly for South African crime writers we live in a crime ridden society I mean I've tried not to watch the news or listen to the news as much as I used to a few years ago and I think South African crime writers in particular they do focus on the gore and the blood and the guts and the and the detail. I, I wouldn't say this is diversionary. It's not a diversionary tactic, and that, that's not what you do. But um, it's. I think it's it's quite pleasant to know that right there is a crime, and but that's not what the focus is. You focus on it, it's quite peripheral, even though your titles. I mean, the milk tart murders. It's in the title. And I mean, the satanic mechanic, I mean, hello, but that wasn't what, death on the Limpopo, but that's not the focus. There's so much else that you look at in these books and there's so much else that you focus on and you know, and the reader knows that when they open one of your books, that isn't going to be what the book is all about. Well, it is driven by that. So the plot is driven by the whodunit of the murder. So that is, in that sense, it's central to the theme and it's central to the the, the page turning is, how are we going to catch the murderer? So in that sense, it is it is central. But the, the murder and the gory aspect is not central to Absolutely. it. And, and there's a lot more woven onto it. So it's a cake with layers of it's just a platform. You, you just use it as a platform. It a platform. In a way, it is a, it is a medium. And it's a medium I enjoy. So I love reading murder mysteries, but I don't like the gore. I like the whodunit aspect and yes. the solving puzzles and the, and, the, and the battle for justice, I think. So I think Tanya Maria and I um, share 
and interest in justice. So often the quest for finding the murderer is related to that. And that is a driving factor in who she is and what she believes in. But it is of equal, it's very much woven into love story issues, food issues. Um, so as the book's first book was called Recipes, Love and Murder, those are three things that are equally in the book. Right. In all of the book. Your main characters, I mean, Maria and Jessie are basically your main characters. They are female, strong yeah. female main characters. But they're actually, they're quite cynical of authority, despite the, the very close relationships that they have with them. Um, explain how that works. And also the the, the relationship with, with Hattie, their boss. She's, she's also an authority <laughs> figure, but she's the complete opposite of them. She's very much, you know, you've got to do things the right way. And they're very mm. cynical of that because they're the complete opposite. Yes, it is an awkward situation since Tani Maria and her co-worker, Jessie, the journalist, are both in romantic relationships with policemen that work together. So Henk Kanamea is Maria's boyfriend, um, who she has quite a hard time with in this latest book. And then Richard is is Jesse's boyfriend. So yes, there's that relationship. And then Hattie as the boss of the, the editor of the Clan Crew Gazette, who's always telling them, please, you know, don't irritate the police. But I don't know if it's correct to say that they are cynical. I think they are just strong women who do what they believe in. They're not deliberately irritating the police. They're not deliberately disobeying the boss, but they don't let authority get in the way of truth and justice. Sometimes they do. There was some tension between Jesse and Maria, which was very difficult. Her relationship with Jesse is very close. So it was really hard for Maria when she had tension with Jesse. But there was an ongoing, even between her and Jesse, there was some tension. There were times she was saying, Look, I think we need to share this with the police. And Jesse was saying, No, not yet. So they get on a, because Jesse was on a mission to protect a friend of hers. So they get on a, when they're on a roll, when they're on a mission, then, then that sense of justice and that sense of their own strength is is predominant of doing the right thing rather than what will someone else think or what will my boyfriend think or what will the police think or what will the boss think so they although they're respectful they're not gonna be cowed or bowed if something doesn't feel true to them and I, I really like that about them also, I love that about them <laughs> and I love the quirk I love I love they're, they're quirky and they they are like we're doing it our way and I, I love that about them. And I think that yeah, is what, that, that is what yeah, they are. They're completely unlikely. So Jessie's this young colored investigative journalist who's very like hardcore and, and, and kind of um, cross and angry and politically correct. And, and Tani Maria is this quite soft 50 something. I mean, Jessie's in her twenties, Maria's in her fifties. She's sort of large and soft in, in, in not maybe not all the right places according to what a magazine would like her to be. And is what she says herself. And she's, she's much gentler and kinder. And they come at justice from two different perspectives, but also physically they, they're quite a pair because on this one, they go, they get into quite a lot of physical adventures where they've got to climb over things and into things and through things. And, and they go also there's cases where I'm not sure if it is in this book, actually, if it's just the other ones, but I have this image. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is in this book of Jessie and her little red scooter and Tani Maria climbing on the back. Yes. And you can just see the, the weight shifting. You picture it. She <laughs> just loves this feeling of this freedom. And, and Maria's come from, her previous uh, relationship, she was married to a very oppressive man and her life was very limited by him as an abused woman. They, she did, although she's obviously she's always had her own inner strength, she was very limited and trapped. And being with Jessie and riding on the back of a scooter and feeling the wind through her hair, 
she just feels she can do anything. And, and Jessie is often a support to her in that way. When she feels small about herself, Jessie will say, you know, no, like walk in your body like you own it because you do. Or she's a wonderful foil. And at the same time, Maria's quite a gentle influence on Jessie who can sometimes just be too hard. And together they really are a, a lovely team. They make me laugh a lot, the things they get up to. They are a lot of fun. You are listening to People of the Book, and I'm talking to Sally Andrew today. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I'm Janice Leibovitz. You are listening to People of the Book. My guest today is Sally Andrew, and we're talking about her latest Tani Maria book. It's called The Milk Tart Murders. Sally, you wanted to read something from the book that gives it, it kind of describes what this latest book is all about. Well, it's also a, a, an explanation as to why we've got Marilyn Monroe on the cover. So the first murder <laughs> takes place during a Marilyn Monroe movie. Somebody dies during this movie. So that's also why you'll have her on the cover. She is someone that the character that the murdered character does like a lot and has all her movies, vintage movies, but I won't go into too much of the details of that. But just a, a little snippet from reading from the book, page nine. They've just finished watching Popeye the Sailor Man as the cartoon, and now they're moving on to the, the Marilyn Monroe movie. Hank held my hand. The movie was Some Like It Hot, black and white, with Marilyn Monroe and Jack Lemmon. It was funny and sweet and sometimes scary when people were killed. For a while, it seemed like everything was going wrong and there was no hope for the lovers. But then, in the end, everything turned out all right. Movies should always be like that because real life often isn't. We need to live in hope, or else, why keep going? We want to believe pain and sorrow are things that will pass with the wind and that love and happiness can belong to us, like the earth beneath our feet. So that's a little summary Lovely. from Tani Maria. Sometimes her voice just comes through when I read um, from Tani Maria about the movie they were watching. But it also is a description of the book itself, The Milk Tart Murders, the difficulties and the happy ending. <laughs> and a bit of Maria's philosophy about life and mine too. It's interesting that you say her voice comes through as you read. Do people kind of, I mean, obviously you're associated with your character. Do people kind of call you Tani Maria? Do they think you're Tani Maria? Does that happen? They do often get surprised when they see me and I'm a skinny Engels Macy um, and they're expecting like to sort of like, how can you not be the sh- short plum tunny? But I'm getting there with menopause <laughs> and time and eating all of Maria's recipes. So yes, there is this kind of expectation that people will, and they think I can cook really well. And, and <laughs> I mean, it's quite nice that people take, I do have to remind even the interviewers, you know, this is all fiction. I've made it up. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> You don't go around investigating murders um, in the Clan Karoo. No. Although I do, I, I can relate to it in that I do feel that Tani Maria exists as a character and that people know her and I know her. So in that sense, yes, she's there and she's created and she exists. But she just isn't me. She's just a good, she's just a friend of mine. In this book particularly, the research I'm imagining was quite different. I mean, the the whole Marilyn Monroe background and that that storyline, that plot. There's also quite an intricate code that's included in this book. Yes, I mean, I spent a, I, yeah. Tell me about that. 
So that I had to. So some of it, I mean, I don't want to give away too much. No, 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 no giveaways. No, no. Uh... To the books. Um, so I wanted to have some sort of clever code that I'd find in the bookshelves of this Opa Fantastiques, which is this treasure and junks, junk shop in Ladysmith, where the first murder took place. And I did, and I sort of did complex things with alphabets and numbers, etc. And I did spend a lot of time in a few secondhand bookstores looking for books that begin with this or end with that or in that year. So, and I had this big bit of paper with charts to try and work it out so that, um, so that it could later be worked out. I don't know. I mean, I'll be curious if the readers who are serious enough that are going to start paying attention and start making their own little charts as Jesse. And Maria find clues if they're going to start writing them down and try work them out themselves. It's not impossible. They could give it a go. There's an Excel sheet for some of the plotting of the clues, but also of the characters, of, of the suspects. So that's quite another fun aspect where Hattie comes in in this organized fashion. And that's the way they also rope her in because she's usually like disapproving of their being too much involved in murder investigations, wanting them to come back to being journalists. But then they rope in her organizing brain and she's right. Let's draw up an Excel sheet. Let's alphabetize the suspects. Let's work out ways of giving them scores, depending on <laughs> alibis, motives, <laughs> opportunity, those kind of things. She got very, was it was very involved there. <laughs> Very, very involved. And the Marilyn Monroe um, part of it, that background, are you a Marilyn Monroe fan? I mean, I think in the generic way that many of us just loved her, she was just this beautiful creature who died young. Um, My mother was a fan of hers and I read up on a bit. I mean, I watched some of her movies and, and, and chose that Some Like It Hot. And some of the launches, I even try to sing my own version of her songs. I've seen that. And she's quite an amazing character. I mean, Jessie does mention her a bit when they, they look into the aspect of the, the movies. Um, she was, she was, she had a really difficult upbringing. She was, um, she's got memories of her mother smothering her at a young age. And I think her mother went into a mental institution. She was raped very early Um and she really struggled she, before performances. She'd been nauseous with anxiety. She, some directors didn't want to work with her because she just couldn't come on stage. But she was this really powerful woman in her own way from, from the little bits of reading and research. Because whenever there's any character, however small, in a book, I will look into and spend time with them. And she, I like one of her quotes that Jessie refers to in this book where she gets a bit of flack. Jessie was just Googling her background. She gets flack some girly calendars she's in. And she was saying, like, a woman's body is nothing to be ashamed of. And a girl's got to pay the rent. <laughs> so she just had some statements that were really cool. And the, the memorabilia side of it? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I think we'll leave that for the, for the book. We'll leave that for the book. Okay. Hornsbrook was a, he loved all the old vintage movies and he collected all those movies and such things. But we'll, we'll leave the, we don't want to go into too many details. No, 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 uh, none of that. (laughs) But talking about her, her mental health issues and all that, you've brought that into, into your books before. And it came into, I mean, when, I mean, you've said from the beginning, um, Maria has now about, about Maria, not Marilyn. Yes, no. Well, well, we've mentioned Marilyn's mental health issues, but you you brought that in right from the beginning that Maria dealt with an abusive husband, and I mean that's always with her, and her issues are always with her. But your new book, I mean, the Multitude Murders, you you deal with with mental health and addiction. I think quite a bit more 
than, yes. than the other books did. I mean, in the Satanic Mechanic, you, I mean, with, with Rickus, Rickus features quite a lot here. And I mean, yes. he's so lovely. He's, he's, I love him. I, I really, I love, I, I, I love Rickus a lot. <laughs> and, um, but you deal a lot with, with addiction. And I know people, there's the question, you know, does Maria have an eating addiction? Yes. So this book, I was really, I was asking, I didn't know. So, I mean, in some ways I've created characters and I'm still understanding them. So book one, she dealt with opening her heart enough to hold hands with, with Hank. In book two, she was dealing with PTSD. Um, and that was also related to her sexual relationship with Hank. In book three, she was dealing with loving and being loved and through, and, and her, her relationship with her late father and greeting with grief and love. And in book four, we really, she has, a, I give her a hard time with Hink and with Jesse, and she really goes into a dark night of the soul moment. And um, I do raise the question, does she have an eating disorder? And I spent quite a lot of time well, wondering about that, getting to know her, going to, I, I myself go to um, CODA, Codependency Anonymous meetings, which is to do with a disorder Usually it comes about if you have a lot of friends and family who addict and you become someone who wants to fix and solve everything um, and don't know when to stay on your side of the street. And it can take a nice form, but it can also be very irritating. And mainly it's not good for you to move out of your center. Anyway, so I attend codependency 12-step meetings, but quite occasionally because I'm not often in Cape Town. But I haven't really got beyond step one. But I am aware of what they call the rooms. And I've attended AA meetings, I mean, oh, yeah, in support for other people who who've had addiction. So I'm kind of familiar with it, but I don't really know and understand it. So it was quite a challenge for me to work out, does Tiny Maria have an eating disorder? And I went to, I was allowed in to sit in on a number of Overeater Anonymous meetings. And I was really just so blown away by these golden souls who've been through so much and come out the other end. And so often people who've been through addictions or who just facing up to them, even if they then, you know, nobody's perfect, but they're just facing life in this brave and wondrous way. So even though, um, I mean, maybe too, maybe I, I won't, um, I don't know if it's ruining the story. I don't think it is. I, in the end, no, she's not an addict. She's a comfort eater, but her and many of us, well, and not just many, but many people who aren't full-blown addicts have got so much to learn from the 12 steps, from people who've been through the journey of facing. So there's a motto that I got from one of the blog groups, the OA being Overeaters Anonymous, which is face your stuff, don't stuff your face. Yes. It's a very cute kind of short cute thing but so many of us have got these different ways of avoiding our emotions that we just find it hard to be sad or angry or we avoid them whether it's by eating or overworking or a full-blown addiction um so although in the end I decided I mean initially when I was writing I thought gee I think Maria is a you know she should go to Overeaters Anonymous or or she has got an addiction and then realizing no she once I fully understood what an addiction was it's just not uh what it's it's not um it doesn't do justice to the understanding of what a compulsive overeater is it was so much more and different from what maria was doing although there is a there's a fudge area and she could become that so she needs to wake up and face her stuff and learn how to face her stuff and to keep food as a way of celebrating life instead of avoiding it and but that was the edge she started crossing over so it was still worthwhile to go into the 12 step. And I'd be, I'm very grateful. One of, you know, a number of people I know helped me with that work because I didn't, I haven't been so deep into it. So I spoke to a lot of people who are addiction sponsors in OA and AA. And then people who've read the book 
once it's come out onto the shelves, have been really supportive of those pages that deal with it. And I've been very relieved that I haven't gone off the mark there. And as I say, I feel it's not just issues for addicts. There's so many issues around your relationship to your essence, to your higher power, to your purpose in life, to facing your stuff, to being in your feelings and being okay with being human and and processing what it is. So Maria did, did go into a lot of that. And partly because of the crisis she was in with two of her major relationships and a crisis in the murder case, they all kind of get woven together and a really hard time she had physically in the, in the journey of capturing the murderer. She really, you know, she, yes. she had to deal with a very difficult situation that was very hard for her, be hard for anyone. So she, through that journey of going through all those difficult things, I think there's some more golden glowing things that that come out of her i think so and i think this has taken the book dare i say a step further than the cozy mystery genre i think this just takes it one step out of that i think this just adds to the layers adds to the depth there's just so much more to unpack in this one hopefully that's in in, in all the books but it's just, yes. just going slowly deeper and deeper into yes very this. much so so i feel it's part of my own journey hopefully also a journey that the readers go on with me and we explore more and more at the same time as having a lot of fun and oh, hunting down a murder absolutely so your books have been published in 14 languages are there more now well that's just the first two books they've been in 14 languages okay. So it hasn't grown yet. And how does that translate when there's so much Afrikaans terminology, so much, there's a lot of local lingo. Are there glossaries in those books? How does that work? So for the American version, for example, we had quite a big glossary when we left a lot of the Afrikaans words there. I think for the translations, people, yes, many of them did keep a glossary as well. They left in the Afrikaans words, like the Italian one. Um, but some of them would then just use the glossary to translate the word. But they did leave in a lot of the Afrikaans words and put a gloss so people could know what lekker and sure and yes like mean. And coffee and biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't know how the Italians would, would deal with that. You know, how to... <laughs> <laughs> Biscotti. <laughs> Biscotti. <laughs> Cafe and biscotti. It's just not but the in same. The, in the, in... In the glossary, for example, I explain that it's like, it's not a biscotti. It's sort of like a... a no. <laughs> so so the, the, the glossaries are also quite amusing because they're also written in Tani Maria's voice. Like she can't believe people may not have heard what rusks are. So she's got to... Absolutely. Gonna in this book, the marmalade rusks, I mean, how you can't translate that into to Italian or... No, it's just not going to work. <laughs> I just cannot imagine how that's going to work. So now are the other, are the, the last two books going to be translated as well? I hope so. I mean, I, I'm not sure what's happening there. It's kind of not my department, the agents. I think that when the, the TV series takes off internationally, there'll be publishers for the next book. I think that maybe overseas they over, they expected too much of the first two books, which is nice for me because I've been funded to be able to write for a couple of years, but it didn't, it's probably take, took off as well as in South Africa, but they've got much bigger markets. And there's been this whole gap around COVID. So, so I don't really know. It's not, people ask me a lot and I keep referring it to my agents and I'm having a meeting soon. So hopefully we'll have, we'll have news soon and they will get published in all the other countries as well. Some of them, I, I, I've never seen the writing of like Estonia 
um, oh, wow. and men and so and so it's really amazing to see these words in different languages and I don't know how they manage the translations one of them actually was from I remember writing these notes the general notes for translators saying don't get too hung up on the exact translation try and keep with the spirit of the writing rather than the, the letter of the, the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. And then before I'd even sent that, I got this email from the Swedish translator and she said, I am 50 something sort of on the, on the full weight side, obsessed with food. <laughs> and my name is Maria. So they just happen magically and they work out. Amazing. You are listening to People of the Book and today I am chatting to Sally Andrew about her Tani Maria Mystery series. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I'm Janice Liebowitz and today I'm talking to Sally Andrew about Tani Maria specifically about the Multart murders. But Sally, I don't think we can avoid the TV series, um, Recipes for Love and Murder. And the film rights for this was secured quite early on in the book series. I think, was it the second book already? Yes, it was a good few years ago. And it's just been a long journey finding, I think I think the main thing around it was finding the, the right funding and backing. It's quite a big thing to make an international TV series um, and it's been challenging times. So I think the producers, they've been amazing. They've just persisted. There's so many, the percentage of, of film rights that are bought versus the amount that are actually made are tiny. It's like it, so many authors might even get as far as selling the rights to their books, but then a very tiny percentage, I don't know what the number is, actually gets made into film that actually gets through all the hoops and the loops. It's a long journey. And I think this one was particularly long. And I think the producers were particularly committed in finding the right directors, the right team, doing everything they needed to do to get the backing, because they did want to make it an international series and not just an Mnet series. So there were all sorts of things that they had to do. And just dogged persistence and believing in the book and in loving the book and believing in the script. Karen Janes wrote a fantastic script. And in persisting and getting it happening so it was a it's been a it's by, by no means been a um taken for granted and there's been a long gap between when it first happened and when it's actually now on the screen um on the 20th it, it aired yeah i have so to say like huge congratulations to you i mean international production it's incredible yeah, it's such an amazing, I was lucky enough, they invited me to Prince Albert. You see, people often think, I mean, I'll, I'll take the congratulations because I wrote the book for the inspiration from the book, but really the entire production, it's not, I have no say about it at all. It's another team of brilliant people who do it. As I say, Karen James did the script. I, I was lucky enough, they, they allowed me to attend. I was there for a week in Prince Albert where they did some of the filming there. And just to witness this incredible crew, this incredible cast, this amazing scripted, brilliant directors just to see all the the creative skill and magic and commitment at work the long hours people worked and the absolute everything each person gave to what they were doing I mean and and anything can mess it up the cinematographer or a funny costume or there's, there's literally a cast of 100 to crew and cast between 100 and 150 and I used to think I, I think I may have been a bit snobby about films and tv I don't even own a tv and think that books are this great literary achievement. But having seen a movie in production, 
I'm just in awe of the creative creativity and craziness and commitment. It's so expensive. It's so expensive. So the risk is enormous. So people are really doing it out of so much love and creativity and commitment to what they're doing. It's really, uh, I've really had my eyes opened to the TV and film industry. I didn't, I guess I hadn't really thought about it or paid attention to it before. And it's a, it's a beautiful, amazing, creative act. It's really spectacular. And the energy of all of them working together was so beautiful. It really was. And Maria Doyle Kennedy is just such a lovely human being, such a lovely singer as well. When I heard she was going to do it, I went and I just listened to some of her songs. She, she was singing some song, The Most Beautiful People Are Broken, I think it was. And it was just like, oh, <laughs> this woman is very tender. She's got a tender being and a beautiful being. So although, I mean, I'm rambling, but I'm maybe pre-guessing your questions. It's different. <laughs> it's not the same as the book. And that's been an adjusting process for me. And it'll be an adjusting process for all the readers. But the Definitely. book is there and it sits on the shelf and it, it stays the same. And that world stays the same. And this is, as Maria Doyle Kennedy said in an interview with her, there's a lovely one with Pippa Hudson. Um, to see it more of a sister of the book yes. as, rather than a copy. And as Thierry um, Kasuta, one of the producers, says, it's just it's a little bit like it's in a parallel reality in a parallel universe. Now, if I if I'd seen the book, I mean, if I'd seen the series and I'd say, oh, my gosh, they've taken everything from the book. But if you but on the other hand, if you're looking at it from the other side, you say all oh, there all these changes. It is same, same, but different. It's yes, inspired by that's exactly that's the perfect way to describe it. Same, same, but different. But there's also a lot um, that's very faithful to the story. I mean, a lot of TV series completely digress. And future episodes, not episode series, might. They might go down their own track altogether. They, they might take those characters and make up completely different stories. So compared to what I see does happen in TV, this script is remarkably faithful to the story with some changes and twists but a lot is very directly based on the books and the um, visual the visual the cinematography yes. and the visuals are, are absolutely stunning specifically the visual food photography and the food yes. cinematography is magnificent yes yes so the food overlaps is real and the the clan Karoo, although it's not exactly the same area they've invented somewhere new it is very <laughs> much a celebration of that no, I think it's it's really an amazing achievement. And I hope people enjoy it. And it must be different. I mean, why do exactly the same? Exactly. If you, want to hear a beautiful, if you want to hear a beautiful rendition of book one in a dramatized form, exactly like the book, then please get Sandra Prince-Lew's audio, order it from the bookshops, both book one and two. She has read most beautifully. Um, and that's exactly from the book. And then you can keep your own visualizations because my visualizations and yours are going to be different. 100%. Even if, even if something, it's not possible. There are thousands of different versions of the book in people's heads. And this is now reducing it to one person's image. Exactly. And it. exactly. And in a TV series, you've got to go into other people's lives. So in the book, it's just all inside Tanya Maria's head. But in the TV stories, we now go into Pitt's house and Jessie's house and her family. So it's also an expansion of things that aren't there in the book but uh, it's it's a challenge and good luck to people I mean the main character Tanya Maria who was Afrikaans is now Scottish and the main character Henk who was Afrikaans white man is now a Zulu so I think yeah that is a lot to to take in but I think people must just accept it for what it is and enjoy it for what it is 
Yeah, and it's different, and it's a different medium. And in, in TV, you need different things in each scene. True. You have to get in. You need conflict in each scene. You need drama in each scene. You need tension. You need visual something going on, not just what Maria's thinking. So a lot of my book is based on what Maria says inside her own head, and that's what can carry the book. But a TV series can't can't just uh, on sorts. <laughs> it's visuals. Exactly. No, a hundred percent right, Sally. It has been so marvelous chatting to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been amazing. Thank you, Janice. It's been really fun chatting. It feels like we could go on forever. Yes, it does. There's so much more to talk about, but unfortunately we have to leave it there. I really do appreciate the time. And where is the Milk Tart Murders available? Um, At the moment, I think it's sold out in a lot of the shops. I was trying to get some copies for myself. But um, it should be at, I mean, I think that will end soon. And a lot of the bookstores have still got any of your bookstores will have or they'll be able to order for you or you can order them online with Penguin Books or just on these days, you just write the name in. And I've also might have some links on my my website is www.sallyandrew.com. It also may just be handy for people to follow things there. We're having a Zoom launch on with, um, on monday this it's monday, monday the 28th yes o'clock if i think some of the other launches are full on some of them have already happened but if people would like to join in on a zoom launch find my facebook page or go to the exclusive books facebook page and there'll be a, a zoom link there that people can register that's perfect that's this monday the 28th at six o'clock you'll be able to join that that's awesome sally once again thank you so so much it's been fantastic having you as my guest thank you janice that was really fun that was amazing thank you and to you listening as i always say take care of yourself take care of each other vaccinate if you can wear a mask and read a book